Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. The word of the Lord says, For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will fully know, even as I have been fully known. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everyone. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody! Let's go! We gotta move y'all, SoCal is not doing right by me. It is cold. Whether it's SoCal cold or Minnesota cold, it is cold. So we are gonna hunker down and celebrate the goodness of the Lord. First, let me thank you all for every interaction that I've had, every uh, face-to-face, every tearful cry. In these last couple days, the Lord has done so much already. He has said so much already, and I am just so grateful to the Lord for how he knows what we need before we even ask for it, and how he has already reached out his hand in graciousness and uh, been so gracious to us here. So I want to just thank each one of you for being so kind to me while I've been here and for the time you've spent with me. Uh, I want to say from the very beginning how one of the things that God has done as I was up this morning and late last night praying and preparing, as I said, Lord, I think we're going to need some time at the altar. I think we're going to need some time of confession, some time of repentance, and whether that's making an altar where you are or coming up here, we're going to need that time. So I'm going to ask you whether it is, uh, if you have a piece of paper, take it out. If you, uh, even if it's a scratch piece of paper, if you have one up here, because what I want you to do is answer a question that we are going to bring to the altar. So whether it's a piece that you need to grab up here, whether it's when I am preaching, you want to come up here and already begin your time at the altar. But what we are going to try to battle against today and address are the things that hinder us from knowing God. Okay, Monday, we started our time in Psalm 139 after we looked at the overarching uh, portion of scripture that we had for this week. And when we talked about Psalm 139, we meditated on the fact, the words of David that said, oh Lord, you searched me and you know me. You know my lying down, you know my rising up, you know every word before I even speak it. David talked about the intimacy the lengths at which God has gone to know him, to make uh, himself known to us. Our God is a covenant God who from the beginning of time, once we had sinned in the garden, had sought to try to draw us back to him. He is the God of the covenant at Mount Sinai. He is the God of the Davidic covenant, the Salt covenant. He is the God that has tried to continue to draw sinful human beings back to him. And none of those covenants, none of the things, none of the goodness, none of the faithfulness, none of the deliverance that God gave his people was enough until he represented himself by wrapping himself in flesh and stepping out of eternity 
and making himself come through the Virgin Mary. He made himself known to us, died for us while we were not even considering him, before we even had him on our minds. It took the blood of a spotless lamb for us to even recognize how broken we were and how desperate we were for Jesus. Some of us still struggle, still struggle with that knowledge that God knows us so intimately. Why? I think part of it is because we are so intimate acquainted with our failures. We are so intimately acquainted with where we have fallen short, where we've lost vision, that secret sin that Satan keeps knocking on our shoulders with. We've become so acquainted with the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we cry out to God and say, Lord, why is this world so broken? You're the God of all creation. Why don't you fix it? Why don't you heal people? Why are children dying? Why are we dealing with those things? Sometimes I think we're disgruntled with the God who has yet made himself known. And so today I want to talk to us about what it means to know and to love God. You've heard our overarching theme scripture read once again, and we're going to read it each one of the days, because I think that the repetition of scripture is important. Too often we memorize one verse and we think that we understand what God is saying. We think we've done our duty for the day. I want us to learn as believers to read large portions of text. I want us to learn to meditate on this word and say, God, what are you really saying to me and how do we apply this word to our life? But I also want us to go back to this portion of scripture because it's so important that we recognize what God was saying there through Paul in 1 Corinthians. When he was talking about we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when we are restored fully, when these human cages no longer tell us who we are, when we stand face to face with eternity, we shall clearly see. How many of you know that as human beings, our vision is limited? There have been times that I have stood by in our art department and I have watched students, whether they're at the potter's wheel or someone who is painting something, and I've just stood there and watched. And before I've even been there five or ten minutes, I'm already saying, I don't get it. What is that? That doesn't look like art to me. Why? Because my impatience wants to know what it is right now. I want to see the end from the beginning. I want to know what they're painting, and I want to have a full revelation. Isn't that how we are with God sometimes? God, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see what you're doing. Can you just hurry this thing up so I can see the full revelation of what you're saying? God, why do I have to suffer so long? Why are my family so dysfunctional? God, why aren't you fixing it right now? And God is saying, wait. Because maybe you are part of the reason why you can't see the full revelation because you can only see in part. Brothers and sisters, do not let your lack of vision squeeze God to the point where you turn around and walk away from the eternal before he has a chance to unravel his entire plan before you. Don't stand like I did. Like this, looking at the potter's wheel and just saying it's just a lump of clay before the master has an opportunity to put his hands around you and bring something beautiful out of nothing. 
Yes, the world is broken. Yes, it's chaotic. Yes, some of your families are a mess. Yes, some of us are complete hot messes, and we know it. Amen? Amen. Who knows you're a hot mess in need of Jesus? Please raise your hand. Jesus? That's half the battle. Half the battle is admitting, Lord, I need you. When these songs don't just become the things that we sing, but the anthems of our lives, Lord, teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. Have you ever thought of that? When I'm being tempted, Lord, how do I turn? And how do I start just singing a song of praise to you? We think of that, think that's absurd. Why is it that we don't think sin is absurd? Why is sin not absurd? Why are we so afraid of the person sitting to the left and the right of us rather than when we are in temptation to rise our, laze our hands up and say, Lord God, I need you. Lord God, you told me you'd make a way of escape. God, let me get out of this way of escape. Not because I want to be embarrassed because I don't want to bring shame to your name. Why is sin always about us rather than about him, rather about that rugged cross that he hung on to free us? When we start recognizing that our lives have been purchased, not simply so that we can say, great, I'm free, but to show people and show this world that the supernatural reality of God can trump our very passions and desires and give us a way of escape. I think too many of us are afraid of that. We just don't want to test God. But Paul says here, when I was a child, new, Fledgling, I thought like a child. I did the things of a child. I did dumb things. How many of you were the kids that when you went shopping with your parents, you were the ones that hid in the clothes and made your mama cry until she was getting ready to call security? Then you'd be like, surprise! Then you looked at your mom's face and you were like, ooh, this isn't going to be no surprise, right? Right, she's getting ready to take that shoe off and chase you out, right, right. When we were kids... We couldn't see the responsibility of adults. We didn't know why they were afraid when we were running to chase the ball into the street. We didn't know what the big deal was. And some of us, in many ways, are still like children. We can't see it all. When we were children, we fought like children. We did what was natural to a child. But Paul said, when I became an adult, I put away childish things. We as believers in Jesus Christ have got to know the difference between being spiritual infants, drinking the milk of the word, and when it is time for us to grow up into the things of God. But how many of you know you can't grow up without Jesus? You can't grow up and you cannot follow a God that you do not know, and you will not follow him if you don't know him. And how do you know him unless you know his word, unless you know his character, unless you know his heart, unless you know that he's not going to give up on you like you so easily Give up on yourself. We talked about Psalm 139. We talked about what it means to be known by God, right? That the one who created us physically in the womb of our mothers knows us, right? We talked about that. I'm sorry, there you go. We talked about God understanding our end from the beginning, but get this God also understands the one who is coming at us. Brothers and sisters, the same enemy that came at Jesus in his weakest point out of the Garden of Gethsemane is the same enemy who knows you. I said this the other night in discipleship. If you think that Satan is not real, you have another thing coming. 
Do not be so spiritually churchy that you don't think that there's an enemy. And when you take your faith seriously, do not think that he will not test you. The enemy is real. He comes in our thoughts. He comes in all kinds of ways. But you should not fear the enemy. You should have an understanding of who you are in Christ that when he is coming, even if your knees are knocking, you can roll your shoulders back and say, get thee behind me, Satan. That you have an authority in the kingdom of God. It is one of the greatest gifts that was ever given to me. It was one of the things that helped me to know God was real, to realize that I was not just some bumbling, bumbling person that God took pity on, but I was a daughter of the Most High God with the full armor of God, a great cloud of witnesses, and Jesus Christ himself interceding for me to be able to fight. That is who I am in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that vision, and you can have that vision and that boldness and still be humble, you can still stoop down to wash people's feet But hear me, if you don't know who you are, the world will tell you. If you don't know who you are, Satan will tell you every time you make a mistake, every time you wring your hands, every time you're afraid, he will remind you of your own failings. I want you to start to dig down to think about what it means not only to be known by God, but today I want us to focus on what it is to know God. 2 Corinthians is the portion of scripture that I've chosen for today. It is a popular piece of scripture, but I have couched it in a way that I hope will help us to understand not just what it means for God to know us, but what does it mean for us to reciprocate that love? What does it mean that when God is reaching out to us from eternity that we reach back rather than to pull our hands back and to hide them behind our backs and to bow our heads in shame? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21 says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, he and those traveling with him. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. Let's stop right there. If you do not believe that you have died to your old life, you are never going to reach out to God. How many of you know it is possible to know about God and never have a heart for him at all? You can, go to your, you can go to church all of your life. Your daddy could be the pastor, your uncle could be the deacon, and you can still miss heaven. You can do all the churchy things you want, you can have had all kind of badges that you got from your alpha courses, and you can still be a person with secret sin. It is not our outward doing that makes us saved, it is recognizing that we had nothing to give to God in return except our hearts. And some of us just don't want to. Some of us have said, I've tried but you must believe. This is what Jesus said in John 6, 29. This is the chief work, to believe in him who God sent. I know that there are things pushing against your belief. I get it, y'all. I know that there are things pushing against your belief. I know there are times when in your spirit person, you are just closing yourself off to God. Some of you have thrown your hands up. Some of you have said, I'm done trying. Can I please beg you to keep trying? Can I please beg you to do more introspection? Rather than more shaking our fists at God, would you do a little more introspection? 
as David said, Lord, search me and know me. See where the anxiety is in me and lead me in a way everlasting. He said he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. There it is, those who receive. How many of you have received his new life? Not just said, okay, that's, that's, that's great. I'll take it. How many of you have actually received it because you've gotten to the end of yourself and you realize, God, I've asked you to change everybody but me. I've asked you to fix my parents and I've asked you to deal with the divorce and I've asked you to fix that over there and I've asked you to pay those people back who did those things to me. I get those kind of prayers. As a kid who was picked on and bullied, chased home incessantly, terrified of my own shadow, was in a home where there was a lot of love but I had a rebellious brother that brought a lot of anger into our home. I remember sitting as a child with my ears plugged rocking saying, God, just make it go away. And when it didn't go away, somehow I felt like God wasn't hearing me. I grew up in a denominational experience where I was taught to fear God, where scriptures like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge was not a fear as in awe of God, but a fear of I should be terrified of God. God was always just past my fingertips. When I looked at Christ, he was always hanging on the cross, emaciated, head bowed, suffering. And I was taught that his suffering was my fault. So how do you reconcile that with the story now of God wanting to draw near? When God is suffering and it's my fault, when I became acquainted with sin and confession and sin and confession, where would my breakthrough come from? Where would I finally get the understanding that to know God was not simply to bow my head in shame and tell God I'm sorry for every way that I have failed you, but instead to know that God is the lifter of my head who said, lift your head and draw near to me for I love you and know you. All the icons and pictures of the world cannot even begin to explain what Jesus did when I finally got past my religion and he drew a picture on my heart and showed me that there was more to him than I would ever know. But it had to begin with me asking God not to fix everybody else, not to punish everybody else, not to change everybody else, but for me to draw a circle around myself and say, Lord, begin with me. Heal me and deliver me. Paul goes on to, said, to say, instead of living for ourselves, we will live for Christ who died and was raised for us. Listen to this. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. How many of you have evaluated others from your own limited point of view? We do it every day, don't we? We look at each other and we size each other up. We think we know something about someone from just looking at them or looking at their situation or how different they are. Paul is saying here, we used to evaluate people from our own limited understanding. But look at this. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. 
how differently we know him now. Paul's making a confession. He said, as a zealous Jew, I thought I knew everything about Jesus. In fact, I thought I knew this Jesus to be a rebel to the point where I put his people to death. I thought I knew through my religious eyes who Jesus was, and I accused Jesus from my own limited point of view. How many of you can say there have been times when your limited point of view of people has been put on God himself? Your own limited perspective, whether it's come out of hurt or come out of pain, has put God in a box. And you've said, you're not the God who you say you are. You haven't answered my prayers. How can I even know you? Or maybe you were like me. You were so acquainted with your own sin that to know God was virtually impossible. Why would a holy God want to know someone so broken and so unholy? But Paul goes on to give us hope, dear brothers and sisters, where he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. The freedom to not have to own it is a gift. To know that all of your sin will not run God away is a gift. To know that God knows you and knows your words and what you will even say is a gift. To know that God does not size you up like human beings is a gift. To know that God is not a God of clay or gold or rock or stone is a gift. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Don't you see? It's not about your sin. It's about his righteousness. It's not about the brokenness or the level of brokenness. It's about his broken body that conquered death, hell, and the grave that sits in perfection at the right hand of the Father. It's not about your failings. It's about his victory. It's not about what we can't do. And we realize that God uses feeble, broken people like us, like he did Abram, like he did Sarah, like he did Rahab. Like he used all of them. When you realize that God has a plan for you to make people scratch their heads and say, how did you get that? Or when you glow from the inside out in the face of the very people who try to destroy you and you offer them Jesus and they will say, why? And you can tell them because the king of all creation met with me as he did with Paul on that road to Damascus. All of it's a gift of God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. There it is. And he gave us this wonderful, not binding, not hurtful, not judgmental, this wonderful, this joyful, this freeing gift of reconciliation so we, you and I, are Christ's ambassador. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ, Paul said, and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right. For God, don't you see? It's Jesus. Jesus paid it all. That's what I used to sing in church. All to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain. He's washed me white as snow. What can the devil do to you? What has he got on you that you're so afraid of? Tell him to bring it. Bring it and put it at the altar. The word of God says that when you speak 
to the mountain and you tell it to be cast into the sea, it will. You better start casting your sins into the sea and let God do the rest. Your big brother is fighting for you. Stop fighting back at him. Stop holding on to your sin. Brothers and sisters, what hinders us from knowing God? I think it's the belief that we think that he is unknowable, unsearchable. People have told us God is just too deep. There's no way to know. The word of God does tell us we know in part and we see in part. And we will not see the fulfillment of God until we see him face to face. But he is knowable. He is approachable. We fear that we as sinful beings are not worthy of knowing a holy God. That was me. We have lack of knowledge of the character of God. You've got to know who God is, what he believes, what his heart is toward you. We lack confidence in the word of God and because of our woundedness and our spiritual blindness. Listen, in these last few moments, I want to open this altar And I want you to take that piece of paper that I asked you to take out, or I want you to come get one here, or whatever you're going to do. But I want us to bow our heads as pastors come forward, because I want us, on that piece of paper, I want you to write down what is hindering you from truly going all out 100% to know and to love and to serve God. What's keeping you? What's blocking you? What's hindering you? What's causing you to fear? What's causing you to say, I I can't? Is it your intellect? Is it your own short-sightedness? Is it pain in your life? Whatever it is, let's take it to Jesus together because on Friday, we're gonna talk about the cross and we're gonna talk about how God searching for us and we searching for God was brought together and rectified through the cross of Christ. We are gonna celebrate, we are gonna have a high time. I know that my being here doesn't fix everything, but I tell you, I will preach until my very last breath. Because I know that the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's not about what I have in the natural, it's about who I have in the, in the spiritual. And because of that, he has allowed me to be an ambassador as he's allowed you to do that. So as we go into worship, if you have to go, I know, but go quietly. If you wanna stay, I want you to come to the altar. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take those prayers. We're gonna lay them before the altar and I and others are gonna lay on those prayers and we are gonna cry out on your behalf. If it's not for you, bring it for a friend, but please do come as we go into worship and we go into prayer and we ask God, to help us to not fear what it is to know and be known by him.